Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach. Always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as mm-hmm. soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online, and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough, and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then, and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week. He says, Thank you for taking my email in question. My girlfriend and I listen to you on the radio, and she respects your opinion as I do. So here's the question I've been separated for nine months. I'm working on a divorce. Is it okay to date? I believe it is. But she's not comfortable with being around people who know my divorce is not final. Can you help? He kind of answered it when he said, if she's not comfortable, it's not a good gig. Hi there. I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets, and I am so glad to be with you today. This is Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And, you know, we are talking with people about sexual addiction and about partner trauma. This is the only show you can come to to hear experts all around the world share their programs, show, you know, they show the projects they're doing, they describe the books that they've got, and it's just an amazing opportunity to learn exactly what you need to know to get healthy again. Tonight, we're going to be talking with Dr. Michael Barda, who developed a new model of treatment called TINSA. Now, TINSA stands for the Trauma-Induced Sexual um, Behavioral Program. It actually means that the program treats the emotional pain that lives in the brain and the autonomic nervous system. You'll want to hear him describe how childhood wounds may be contributing to the trauma that the brain and the body has experienced. This is an amazing man. He has an amazing program. And, you know, he believes that TINSA supposes that addiction is secondary to trauma. And trauma is a misunderstood word because when we say it, most people think of catastrophic events like war or disasters or near-death experiences. While truly, childhood pain, neglect, all those things can really make the difference and create trauma. And so he's going to be talking about what we can do, what kind of treatment is out there, if you believe the trauma has affected your sexual addiction. So I've got him coming on at about 9.15, and in the meantime, I had an interesting email from a woman who said, you know, thanks so much for taking the time to help me with my issue a couple of shows back, and so much has happened in the past week. She said, I was driving home from work, 
and my husband texted me and said he had been thinking about killing himself for a few days. Now, he's a sex addict, and of course, the first thing I did was I asked him, had he talked to his therapist or his sponsor about these feelings, and he said no. So I called his CSAT's therapist number and asked him to reach out via text. I was scared to go home. I just didn't know how to handle this. So I waited. I wanted to make sure that I had myself together before I decided how I was going to deal with a suicidal husband. Well, as I settled down and my husband appeared to be okay, I started to pay bills and I got on the Google Chrome browser and actually found that he had been making daily searches for sexy pictures of celebrities. There seemed to be an obsessive preoccupation over particular ones and the worst one on the anniversary of the affair he had done two searches looking for the women he cheated with me on. I am devastated. Now I know why he was suicidal. Because he was doing things to our relationship by acting out. I called his therapist and then I called my therapist and her advice was to do a therapeutic separation for us to work on our recovery apart and to decide if I wanted to stay in the marriage anymore. So now he's living with somebody from his SA group, and I am feeling a little bit safer. Well, you know, therapeutic separations can be very, very helpful. Sometimes they last a few days. Sometimes they last a few weeks. Sometimes they last over a year. But it really allows both parties to decide what their boundaries are. What will make them feel safe? And even though a therapeutic separation is about boundaries, I have to admit, it's about consequences too. You know, if your spouse has acted out over and over and over again and doesn't seem to be able to keep it together, you need to decide can I be with this person forever? And a therapeutic separation gives you time to do that, to decide what are your boundaries, and also to say to the person, you know what, this is serious, and you can't keep doing this to me. As a matter of fact, I don't want to be living with you while you're actively using, whether that's prostitutes, whether that's porn, whether that's different affair partners. I just can't be with you when you're doing that. So I am 100% an advocate of a therapeutic separation. If you have tried to get safe on your own and your partner, the addict, keeps acting out, or if you've tried couples work, And it just has not worked out for you. You know, um, sometimes somebody is not healthy enough to do couples work. And as a result, you've got to make the determination that you've got to take care of yourself first and foremost. So I appreciate this woman letting me know how she's doing letting me know that unfortunately looks like a separation is in process and also letting other people know that a separation does not mean divorce. More of my couples that have had to do this have gotten back together after they had the the quiet time, the alone time to really figure out what they needed to work on their recovery programs to the degree that they're going to need to to absolutely make better choices and make recovery a part of their life. And you all know I always say that 
when you're dealing with choices, you should always ask yourself, is it moving me closer to recovery or is it moving me further away? And if it's moving you further away, you need to intervene. You need to have an action plan. You need to have a fire drill so that you may be thinking about acting out, but you make a better choice because you have a plan that's going to absolutely move you towards recovery instead of away from it. I mean, truly, every day, one day at a time, you should be figuring out what's going to take me into recovery. And if, you know, you are a um, partner, you have to say, what is going to take me closer to self-care? What can I do to better take care of myself? What can I do to make myself safe in an unsafe situation? And there are plenty of things you can do. They may not be your first choice because, let's face it, you didn't ask for this to happen to you. You didn't cause it. You can't cure it, nor can you control it. But you definitely can decide what is in your best interest and how can you take good care of you. Don't ever let anybody take away your sobriety. You know, um, a Carol, <coughs> excuse me, I got a terrible cold. A Carol, the coachism that I use is about conflict. And when you have conflict, you have to ask yourself, you know, how did I contribute to the conflict? And you have to be honest about that. And so you're honest and you say, well, I contributed to this conflict because I got really triggered and I just lashed out at him, and I called him every name in the book, and I don't know what happened to me. Okay, now what we do know is oftentimes partners get triggered and their prefrontal cortex goes offline and they act irrationally or they act aggressively, and that's not who you are. That's what your brain does. But there are ways to to calm yourself down, to get grounded and resourced. So how did you contribute to the problem? Maybe you didn't get grounded and resourced. Maybe you didn't walk away when you needed to. Maybe you didn't distract yourself. That can be very helpful if you're a partner and you're faced with a crisis or a trigger. Then the second thing you do is you remind yourself that although you got this conflict, most of this conflict is because of the addict and what the addict has done to you. And that's not to hold a resentment or a grudge. That's to remind yourself that you're really being reactive to a situation that you didn't want. Then the third thing you say to yourself is, you know what, I won't give him or her the power to make me feel anything. So if you say, I am so frustrated, I hate him right now, he's ruined my life then you take that back and you say to yourself, you know what, I'm not giving him that power to ruin my life. He may have made me furious tonight, but he didn't ruin my life. I get to choose how I interpret things. And then the fourth thing you do is you have faith. You have faith in yourself that you'll weather the storm and you will get through it and you will get stronger. Or you have faith in the coupleship that that coupleship can get through through recovery, and when recovery truly occurs, you'll have a better relationship than you might have even had before. And last but not least, you might have faith in your higher power. you got to have one of the three. Either yourself, the coupleship, or a higher power greater than you is going to restore you to sanity. Now, the good news is you can have all three, or you can have two out of three, but you at least need one. So remember that when you're dealing with conflict. And uh, if you want more information, you can email me at carol at carolthecoach.com, and I will send you 
a sheet that absolutely teaches you how to use that formula so you depersonalize the conflict, you have less stress in your life, and you actually weather conflict better. Because we're all about helping you deal with trauma, both from a feeling standpoint, an intellectual standpoint, and a resourcing standpoint. And that's why we have Dr. Michael Barta on. You know, he is an amazing therapist. He's got several programs that are trauma-based, and he's going to be talking about TINSA tonight. So, Dr. Barta, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Thank you, Carol. Can you hear me okay? I can. There was a little bit of buzzing, but now I think it's all gone. Hey, tell us a little bit about this method, you know, TINSA. What is TINSA, Mm -hmm. and what made you decide that this new model would really help sex addicts and partners alike, actually? Yeah. So, uh you know, I have been doing um, the treatment of sex addiction since 2008. And it was actually in my training with Patrick Carnes, Dr. Carnes, that he said, you know, treating the symptom isn't enough anymore. And I took that to heart. And when I came back and started my own private practice and then developed a treatment center, I found that what was really needed was to find out um, – what the core of the problem was because a lot of treatment centers, a lot of facilities, a lot of people are still treating um, the symptoms of an addiction rather than how the addiction was formed and why it keeps causing problems in their life. I'm in recovery myself, both in alcoholism and sex addiction. Um, and I know after 31 years in Alcoholics Anonymous that, you know, treating the symptom, keep treating my drinking, just staying away from the drinking wasn't enough because, you know, there would be cravings or temptations or things like that. So I knew there was something deeper going on. So in about 2010, I started developing a model, and it was based on neuroscience from some of the leading neuroscientists in in the country like Bethel van der Kolk and Gabor Mate and um, Daniel Siegel, to name a few. And when I looked into these, what I was seeing is that what is at the core of addiction are traumas that occurred to us. So I started developing a model to look at trauma as, you know, the predecessor to addiction, specifically to sex addiction. And then I developed this model, and it is called TINSA, T-I-N-S-A, and that stands for Trauma-Induced Sexual Addiction. And I, it became a, an official registered trademark in 2015, which means that I had fully developed my um, model at that time and wanted to start incorporating that in all the treatment I do. And then in 2016, I opened a 14-day treatment center called Begin Again Institute in Boulder, Colorado, utilizing this model. All right. And what TINSA stands for um, and what it does, in short, it's a model that treats the core of sex and porn addiction rather than just focusing on the symptoms which are in the symptoms of addiction are our behaviors. So I'm not so interested in, you know, what a person was drinking or what type of um, sex they were doing, whether it be pornography or whether it be, um, you know, all the way up to prostitution, things like that. While while those being important, that's not our primary purpose or our primary focus. Uh Um, Because, looking at just the behaviors is an outdated model. And I always say that if I have a physical illness, I don't want my doctor to just treat the symptoms. I want them to treat what's causing the symptoms and get it the heck out of my body. And so that's the way I started treating sex addiction. Um, And 
the 14 day program, well, all our programs here, but the 14 day programs in specifically allows men um, with sex and porn addiction to have, you know, real intensive experience of finding the core of what's going on with them and why they became sex addicts. Partners love this too because they're finally getting answers. It really helps them stop taking this so personally. Um, Now, of course, it doesn't eradicate them taking it personally all the way because the trauma and the betrayal is so deep. But it really gives the partners of the addict a better opportunity to understand from a neurobiological perspective why their partner is an addict and why he or she did what they did to cause all this pain. So can you give us some examples of some trauma-induced core issues that contribute to this? Um, yeah, so what we do is we suppose, um, when I say we, I meant, you know, m- me and my, my team, that uh-huh. all, all addiction, but specifically we're talking about sex addiction, is secondary to some type of trauma. And this is backed up by neurologists, you know, internationally. Um, but trauma is a misunderstood word because when I say trauma, or when we say trauma, most people call to mind catastrophic events that happen, like natural disasters. They could talk about war. They could talk about near-death experiences. And while these do, events do cause trauma, um, the trauma-induced sex addiction model um, looks at the things that most people really don't view as trauma, even though they are trauma. And that is like a lack of attachment that's occurring with mom and dad, or it's in the family of origin and not allowed to be yourself, to be authentic. It could be you were told how to live. It could be that you were not allowed to express emotions. It was, it was trauma occurs when you, when a young person is validated for what they do rather than who they are. And what I'm finding in in the addicts as well is they're coming from systems that they never had a chance to form a healthy nervous system because their parents, and I'm not blaming parents here. I'm just saying that the parents didn't have what it took to be a scaffolding around a young developing nervous system to help it develop fully and therefore be able to regulate it his or her own emotions or connect with other people. And I'm not blaming parents because if they didn't give it to their child, they didn't get it themselves. So right, it's more of right. an intergenerational problem. It's not just one one set of parents doing the wrong thing. In fact, Gabor Mate, um, in his book, In the Realm of the Hungry Ghost, he talks about that addiction isn't really a genetic disease because Everybody is born with the capacity to be addicted. We all have the genes. But he he points out that genes can't influence behavior, but behaviors influence genes. So what's turning these genes on to make a person addicted is the environment. And it's the environment that's being passed down generation to generation, not a particular gene for addiction. And I thought that was really fascinating. So I started really looking about at what were these early occurrences that that formed a person's nervous system to not be fully effective in helping them regulate or connect with other people. And so we go back to these early forms of trauma and what they did to a person's nervous system and I call that predisposition to addiction because, I mean, um, if your nervous system's not working correctly, the first thing you're going to do is try to regulate that nervous system. And there's not much better things to regulate a nervous system with 
than drugs and alcohol and sex and behaviors that give us temporary relief from this dysregulation. So you're saying that there are people that are born with predispositions towards certain genetic makeup that then allows them to want to medicate the pain via sex or gambling, drugs, or alcohol. Well, it could be. I mean, I I don't subscribe 100% that we're born this way, although Bruce Perry, another neurologist, has shown that people with adverse developmental experience, that's what I call it, and, and happens in utero. And people, addicts in particular, have fewer dopamine receptors than people who don't become addicts, and that definitely happens in utero, and that happens in the first, first years of life. So it can be that we're born with a predisposition from too much stress happening on the fetus in utero, which causes mm-hmm. brain changes. But it also can be from things that occur after birth. So the most important thing is to have a mom that is regulated herself, right, that her nervous system's functioning properly and that she can attune to us properly. And attunement just means that there's a lot of eye-to-eye, skin-to-skin contact. And, and what the mom is doing is she is tending to the child's needs before the child has to ask for it. That's attunement. All right. Absolutely. So I think there. probably one of the best yeah. videos you can access through YouTube is that face-to-face experiment mm-hmm. where a very healthy relationship with a mom and her baby just the fact that for about 45 seconds she turns away and absolutely ignores the baby and the baby just begins to freak out. And you can imagine for our listening audience how devastating it would be if the mother cannot regulate her emotions as the baby's in utero all the way until birth. I mean, it just really can impact that sense of security and that sense of self-soothing. Exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, when a person doesn't have um, the proper support mm-hmm. for their nervous system to develop properly, then what they have to do, what the child has to do, is learn how to self-soothe, like you just said. He or she has to learn how to regulate their own system. All right, because there's no one else there helping them with it. That's the birthplace, in my opinion, of addiction. Because addiction is about isolation. Addiction is is always about self-regulation. Right? I want to feel better. So I'm going to do this activity or I'm going to take this substance to feel better. And, you know, that just, that just translates into um, regulating our system. The only problem is we would have to do that 24-7 to be able to regulate. And anybody who's an addict knows that you can't keep the behavior up 24-7. So we do it for a period of time, and it's like putting a Band-Aid on something that has is a very, very deep cut. You're going to have to keep changing the Band-Aid, right? So what we right. want to do is go in and heal the wound. So, and that's um, what Tinza is all about. It's a model that treats the core of the sex or porn addiction rather than focusing on the symptoms. Yes, that's right. And so our nervous systems are comprised of, you know, several different branches, and we won't get into them, but the one that everybody's mostly familiar with is is the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. And the sympathetic is our activation, and the parasympathetic is the, the braking system. Or the mm-hmm. you know it, it regulates the sympathetic nervous system. Well, if a person's nervous system has not developed properly, or they haven't been taught how to um, know number one, know what an emotion is. I, I I can't tell you how many of my guys that I treat 
simply don't know how to feel. They can't recognize emotion. All right, so if that wasn't ever taught, then what are they going to do with those emotions, right? So basically, they don't know how to express emotion. They don't know how to regulate their own emotions. So they do things in order to be able to take that charge away. And so if we don't have a properly formed nervous system, then what's going to happen to that individual is he or she's going to spend his life, his or her life, in either the fight-or-flight stage, state, which is sympathetic, the sympathetic system stuck on, so they're going mm-hmm. to be anxious or fearful or angry, or their parasympathetic is going to be stuck on, and that's the numb, dissociated, more frozen state, right, the depression state. And so what the addiction does is either try to calm down the anxiety or the anger or it tries to boost up energy from the numb state, right? And so what we want to do is find out how this occurred. And our model shows the people they do exercises and they learn exactly how their nervous system was formed and how their, what system their nervous system is stuck on. And then they look at the behaviors they use to regulate and the regulatory behaviors, then we, we look at the sex addiction itself. Because the sex addiction wasn't sex addiction when these pe- people started. It was a way to feel better. It was a way to self-soothe. And what regulatory behaviors that turn into addiction are, are behaviors that actually change the neurochemistry or the neural pathways for an addiction to occur. So that would be with sex, that would be with food, that would be with substances, that can be with technology, things that cause actual changes in the brain that now um, are required to feel normal. So to let you, to give an example of that, I had a client who started drinking at age 12. And in Colorado, we have this beer called 3.2 beer. We used to. And it was for 18-year-olds to drink, and the typical beer is 6% here. All right, so this guy started out with drinking two 3.2 beers. And he said at that time he felt nirvana, right? He had arrived. He felt normal. He felt like he could talk to people. He, he could be humorous, things like that. Twelve years later, however, when he quit drinking, he was drinking 151 rum in the morning. But he was no longer drinking to get drunk. He was drinking that high-octane alcohol in the morning so he could quit shaking so he could go to to school. So what we're looking at here is something that once provided a high or a rush is now needed for normal functioning in life. And so these guys keep returning to their sex addiction over and over just so that they can start feeling normal. And I'm not saying they don't get high from it because, of course, they get the rush. But they're doing things and it's causing greater and greater damage in their lives to their marriage, to their you know, their relationships, to their careers, to their reputations, and they can't stop. But they're not doing it necessarily anymore for the high. They're doing it because that's the only way they know how to live. Well, that totally makes sense to me. So what would you do with somebody? How would you apply TINSA to a man who, you know, does have a terrible sex addiction and did experience abuse in his childhood and learned early on how to either medicate or numb the lack of feelings or feelings that they couldn't express? I mean, Tell us how the process works. Okay. So our end goal is to make a person reignite or reestablish their ability to be authentic and their ability to be vulnerable. Because my equation is you have to be authentic and you have to be vulnerable 
to experience true intimacy. All right, and as we know, you know, Carol, you and I know, is that sex addiction is really an intimacy disorder. So the damage occurred to the authenticity of a person or to the person's uh, ability to be vulnerable. So we go in and find those, right? That's what we work hard on is find out where the damage to these two aspects in their life were. Was it abandonment? Was it neglect? And we're not talking, you know, most people when they think abandonment, they think of, you know, a kid being left home for five days at a time. That's not it. Abandonment is any time that we're seeking emotional regulation with a parent and they're not available, you know, not, you know, not for five minutes at a time, but consistently they're not available to give us what we need. Neglect is that, you know, emotional neglect is we were not given what we needed in order to regulate, right, or we were told how to live. So we find these wounds. We show them how their nervous system is set up. We go into their addiction. We we explain to them how, you know, their their initial behaviors in order to self-soothe have now become addictive. But the final step is, is we have to show them how to live differently, right? And living differently means what they're doing is they're expanding their ability and their knowledge and their skill base to regulate their own nervous systems in healthy ways instead of unhealthy ways. So if we're using a brain, for example, we're teaching people how to get out of their midbrain, which is the limbic brain, or to get out of their reptilian brain, which is, you know, more more of when the when the reptilian and the um, limbic brain come on at the same time, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous systems come on at the same time. That's what's called freeze. We're teaching them how to regulate those brains so that they can live in their frontal lobe. Frontal lobe is where everything occurs that is, like, good, all right? It's our decision-making. It's our thinking. It's where we experience feelings if we can regulate the feelings. So Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is help the person become able to live in the present without, you know, going to that fight, flight, or freeze. And I was listening to your talk a moment ago, and it was brilliant because what you're saying is, you know, that the betrayed partners need the same type of treatment. They need ways to find safety so their midbrain turns off and they can return to their frontal lobe. Because hmm. neuro, neurobiologically, we can't, we can't be in um, fight or flight or freeze in the frontal lobe at the same time. The frontal lobe turns off. So we have to give them the capacity to turn their frontal lobe on and live in their frontal lobe. That's what we Right, do. which is the executive um, functioning, which is your ability to reason, to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And, and let's and it, face it, when yeah. somebody's dealt with crisis or trauma, because they are in that amygdala, that front part of the brain doesn't work, and then they think they're going crazy. They start doubting themselves. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the partner, and I was fortunate enough to do that training with Barbara Steffens and you, you know, a few weeks back in the, you know, the APSAP model, and that, um, you know, this devastation is, you know, that frontal lobe was going to be offline for quite a long time until they ex- established safety. And the other part about that is, is what we really want to do with these men. So, you know, at Begin Again, we do, we have a three-part process. It's this trauma. We, we find out what caused it. We explore thoroughly their addiction and give them everything they need to stop that addiction and, you know, start recovering from it. But the final piece is really, you know, what is valuable is to show these men what they've done to their partner. All right, and they can hear it from us more than they can hear it from their partner because when their partner's in that much pain, they go into shame and their brain starts shutting down. But we really use the tools from APSAT to show them, you know, this betrayal trauma, what the effects it has on the mind and the body and the spirit of their partner, 
And it's not to shame them, but to give them the ability to start being empathetic for the pain they've caused. Mm -hmm. And I call it exploring the train wreck. You know, the conductor wrecked the train, and now he's going back and surveying the damage close up, and that's really hard to do. But these guys have to absolutely survey the damage they've created, be able to stay in their frontal lobe and help their partner reestablish safety. That's what I think is going to be most helpful in the rebuilding of the relationship. And these guys have to learn how to be trustworthy, transparent, and most of all, to bond, you need consistency. So it's got to be done every day. And it's going to take the partner a while to trust again. Because that's well, and I like that you just, said that because obviously that's what the sex addict needs to do to be authentic and transparent and honest. Mm-hmm. And that's his own work. And then once he gets a handle on who he is, then he can work on that empathy and validation and acknowledgement to build the coupleship. And I know that that your program helps couples to work through the trauma too. 100%. Yeah. Because, I mean, this is a lot more about um, dealing with trauma than it is dealing with quote-unquote addiction. All right? So we can give the guy all the tools he needs to stay sober the rest of his life, but unless he's doing those, using those tools with his frontal lobe, like purposefully and mindfully and in the present moment, things aren't going to change. Right? So we have to get him to the place where he's going to be able to be present for his partner, even when she's in a huge amount of pain. And once, you know, like you said, we do this with couples, once we explain the the science behind it, um, it, it, it turns a light on in the partner and is able to see the addict in a more human light rather than a person who has just totally devastated them. And we're not telling her, you know, to get over it or anything like that. And it's like I'm working with a couple right now that came in from a different state. And, you know, I asked, I asked the partner this morning, you know, what, what did you get out of yesterday? And that's exactly what she said. She goes, well, I can finally understand, you know, what's going on inside him that makes it, a lot less personal for me. And that's what exactly. I want to do. Obviously, uh, depersonalizing that conflict and the trauma then helps both of them to keep it in perspective, to not take it, you know, because most people take it as personally and think they did something wrong, which is the ultimate insult. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking, yes. for our listening audience who may have just tuned in, I'm talking with Dr. Michael Barda, who's a certified sex addiction therapist, and he's been trained in the multidimensional trauma approach that Dr. Barbara Steffen started. Uh, he has an institute, Begin Again, located in Boulder, Colorado, and you use this model, TINSA, which you developed and have patented. Um, you mm-hmm. use this with sex addicts to help them work through their own sexually addicted behaviors, own trauma, and um, really begin again in their lives. 100%, yeah. And, um, yeah, it's it's amazing to see these guys. And, um, you know, one of the things that was kind of a... Uh, I don't know. I mean, we always wanted to have a place where the guys could stay because most 14-day facilities use sober living facilities, which means you do your work at one place during the day and stay at night at a different place with people who might be there for sex addiction. But we Mm -hmm. wanted to make it all inclusive where the person is in treatment 24-7 with the guys he's in treatment with. There's no Mm -hmm. outside influence. There's nothing like that. And, um, Carol, the bonding that occurs in here, I've never seen anything um, more beautiful because this is really the first time in these guys' lives where for 14 days, for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 
they get to be authentic and vulnerable. And yeah, they finally absolutely. start learning, right? And then they can well, generalize and, you know, that to their partner, right? It, you know, they've been, um, and this is not meant to be accusatory or, but they've they've had to hold these secrets. They have been such good liars for so long that it, it actually must be rewarding not only to express that honesty, but to get to know yourself, maybe again or maybe even for the first time, because so many of these guys have been medicating with something since they were pre-adolescent. Yeah, some of them since three or four years old. Right. You know, that they've, they've never had any other way to soothe themselves other than to lie and create a different life, that they it, create a different person that they thought they needed to be for to be acceptable. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. Once they find out that that was the lie and not their true selves, it provides a great amount of relief. Right? They well, never absolutely. had to really create it. Yeah. So in some ways, that bonding and closeness um, in that 14-day program is really part of the treatment that occurs to help with the sexual addiction model. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, the the actual attachment that occurs with other members um is part of the of the overall treatment. Um because now once they know that they can attach, that they know they're not these horrific people, they can take that back into their marriages and their lives and start practicing that with their partners and their families as well. Yeah, we always say whatever happens in the therapy session, especially when it's group or intensive, um, Mm -hmm. happens out there. I mean, that's the beauty of the work that we do. Yes, are there other things that you believe are unique to your program and, and would help our listeners to say, yeah, I want to look into this program begin again well yeah and i think you know i've I've already spoken a lot about it but it's it's the um you know we we do we find the core and and from what i'm from my knowledge base is that we're the only treatment facility that's specifically looking at what caused the addiction rather than you know the symptoms of the addiction um and what else makes us what makes us else unique is that this is the only like treatment facility the 14-day treatment facility that absolutely um, utilizes the multi-dimensional trauma approach so the partner's going to get as much validation and healing as the addict will when their partner comes here um and again, you know, the bonding can't be understated that occurs in there. And a lot of people go, well, 14 days, that's not enough. And in some cases, it's not, Carol. And if we're, if something is too big for us, we're certainly not going to take it. You know, there's great facilities out there that are 35 to 90 days. And and some people need that type of treatment. But for the for the average sex addict, you know, 14 days is great because, the person doesn't have to take a ton of time away from their family or their work. And, you know, people say, well, that's not enough. Well, they start working at 7.30 in the morning, and they're done about 9 at night. Mm -hmm. So we're packing a lot of treatment in a day, and that's individual, that's group, that's exercise, that's, you know, yoga, that's psychoeducation. And it's a lot of um, didactic work, meaning that when I'm in there, you know, with these people, they're actually doing the therapeutic work that, you know, exploring these traumas or finding out about their nervous systems and how to heal their nervous systems and things like that. And, you know, the whole program is based around mindfulness. And what we call mindfulness is just being present in your body. And we live in Boulder, Colorado, so I mean, it's there's trail mountain trails everywhere. I mean, so it's 
you know, it's a beautiful environment for people to start reconnecting with themselves. And like you said earlier, you know, reconnecting with something larger than themselves um, in your earlier talk. So, you know, those are the unique aspects of, of my program. And um, it's, it's been an absolute joy to just do this work. Well, and you really understand, as you said at the beginning of the show, you're a recovering alcoholic, you're a recovering sex addict, and it really sounds like you have designated your life to sex addicts and partners alike. I mean, I did have the pleasure of facilitating a training, and you were there, and, you know, you, I had seen your material, so I knew you were already very, very partner-sensitive, and that is so important in the work of sex addicts to be partner sensitive because you can you can really work with somebody's core and you can really help them to feel better about themselves but if they can't work within that coupleship it's it's like any kid that we work with if we return them to a very dysfunctional family and there's no way of helping the coupleship or the family it'll default back to normal so I'm so glad you're taking yeah. a systems approach and working um, with both the partner and the sex addict. Now, I know that the partners can't come and visit you for two two weeks, but you do provide them some services through telecommunications and Zoom? We do, and we, you know, we also do multi-day intensives, which is the partner, to help them through that stage one of safety. Um, and we also, hopefully by December, we're going to be ready to have a six-day just partner program. And I mentioned that in our training because we want to have a place for women or men, you know, but, well, it's going to be gender-specific, but we want a place for these partners, these betrayed partners to come and really get a sense of healing and grounding and learn about what addiction really is and starting to provide themselves with this base of safety. And like you said in your previous talk that I was listening to, the empowerment, right? They do get to make their own choices. They're not stuck, right? And we want to help them out of that fight, flight, or freeze long enough that they can start making decisions on their own and setting appropriate boundaries so that's our hope for yeah probably february yeah well that is exciting now again i am talking with dr michael barda and he is a csat and he's a phd you can contact him at drm barta b-a-r-t-a so that's dr m barta at gmail.com or you can check out his website. The facility that he practices the TINSA model is www.beginagaininstitute.com. And so it's there that they can look at your model, look at the treatment, and then contact your staff directly. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, obviously... You and I both know that sex addiction is not just an addiction of compulsion, but it is a brain disorder. And so what we have to do is heal the brain and heal the soul and heal the relationships that are around these areas. And your work is comprehensive. I have seen clients go through it. Um, you have an aftercare program. You want to say just a little bit about your aftercare program? Yeah, we provide, you know, um, services through a HIPAA-compliant uh, web-based platform, similar to Skype, but it's it's HIPAA-compliant, meaning that, it, you know, it's safe for people to uh, do confidential information through this, you know, through the Internet. And the Zoom rooms are great because, you know, everybody sees everybody while they're in the group. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of interaction going on, providing accountability, support, um, you know, fostering of friendships. 
And it's great because we have, you know, like three or four different groups going per week because of the amount of people that have gone through Begin Again. Um, But everybody that is in there has gone through Begin Again. So they're all being treated from the same model. And regardless of what, you know, group you get put in, you're going to be with people who have gone through the same type of treatment. And you're going to just know where you are and you know we take it from there and so that's been really a great offshoot of this this whole model and being able to still see people even though um, they're not you know in Colorado at the present time oh absolutely I 100% agree with that philosophy and You know, for anybody who um, is listening, you might have gotten the book, Sexual Addiction, Wisdom from the Masters, and that's my compilation of 12 of the greatest interviews that I've done. And we sell this book both through eBook It on Amazon and also hard copies through my website. And Dr. Michael Barta is in there talking about attachment which obviously is oftentimes at the core of the wounding. So I wanted to thank you so much for being in the book and and donating that interview to the book. You're among the masters, uh, Dr. Patrick Carnes, Claudia Black, uh, Ken Adams, Alex Katahakis. So I, I just really appreciate the work you do and the energy you put into providing the best service ever. Well, Carol, thank you so much, and thank you for allowing me to be in your book. It's a, it's a great compilation. Well, thank you. All right. Mm-hmm. Will you take care? Keep us posted of the new work that you're doing. Let me know when you get uh, certified so we can, you know, he's been <laughs> trained. Now he has to get his supervision hours so he can be one That's of our family, right. our precious family for partners. So, Michael, you take care of yourself and keep me posted on all the good work you're doing. I really appreciate it, Carol. I'll be in touch soon. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yes, so Dr. Michael Barda, again, he is the innovator of a very, uh, sounds like a very progressive model that he is using right now, and That model is obviously something that addresses the core wounding of sexual addiction. And, you know, I know that we all know that when somebody develops compulsivity, there's oftentimes a trauma that has occurred that has contributed to the maladaptive coping mechanism that has helped to ease the pain. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about TINZA. And TINZA is obviously the treatment model that Dr. Barty uses so that people can get healthy and work on their issues. And that is amazing stuff. All right, well, I just really enjoy it when people are so devoted and, you know, create models that treat the core of sex or porn addiction rather than just focusing in on the symptoms. Spread the word. Tense is the trauma-induced sexual addiction model for addicts. And it starts at Begin Again Institute, located in Boulder, Colorado. And, again, that website is www.beginagaininstitute.com. And I will see you next week for another um, psychoeducational show. Again, don't hesitate to email me. I am just getting more and more and more um, emails and phone calls people wanting resources. I was asked today, hey, Carol, do you know of a good couples book? We want to start a couples group, and we're all recovering addicts, and we're not sure how to do that. And I said, "Uh uh-oh, sounds like somebody's going to need to write their own. 
um, but I did give them a couple of workbooks that I thought could be helpful. I will see you next week for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach, but in the meantime, just remember there will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And please have a great week.